One of the greatest victories in the Bible is the victory that happened when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king after Solomon uh, in the land of Judah. You'll remember that after Solomon, the kingdom divided into north and south, and the nation of Judah was the uh, portion that was ruled by the descendants of David. And the fourth king after Solomon, after that break, was Jehoshaphat. His father was Asa, a king of 40 years. And he was a good king, mostly. And Jehoshaphat was his son and was also a good king, mostly. Uh, but today I'd like to do something maybe a little bit different. I'd like to, to share with you and I'd like for us to look together at uh, several scriptures that point out a quality in Jehoshaphat that then we will look at and observe as we study today. So let's begin in chapter 17, verse 3 of Second Chronicles. That's where we'll find uh, the story of Jehoshaphat. Though there is a portion of uh, 1 Kings that deals with Jehoshaphat, most of the information we have about him comes from 2 Chronicles. So um, let's read in verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Let's talk just a minute about some of the things we just saw. First of all, when it says that Jehoshaphat was the son of David or that David was his father, it, it didn't mean that uh, he was a direct son. It just meant that he was an, uh, David was an ancestor of Jehoshaphat. But the key phrase that we need to pick up on is in verse 4. Jehoshaphat sought the God of his father. So he was a man who sought God. And we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to seek God? I think as we see the story of Jehoshaphat unfold today, we'll answer that question. Let's read the next passage in, in chapter 19. This is talking about some of the things that Jehoshaphat did in one situation, he came back after having made an alliance with Ahab, king of Israel, and he was reprimanded by one of God's prophets. And after the reprimand, this is what the prophet Jehu had to say about Jehoshaphat. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. The Asherah poles were a kind of idol that focused on a fertility goddess of that part of the country. And, uh, but the, the key phrase that we want to see is that he set his heart on seeking God. What does it mean to seek God? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. One more passage, and this comes from 2 Chronicles 22. And this is a passage that um, occurs after the life of Jehoshaphat. His son who followed him was not a great man and uh, was not godly. And when he was put to death, his name was Ahaziah, um, there was some discussion about whether or not he should be buried because um, he was killed by Jehu. And uh, 
So uh, let's, let's begin reading in the middle of that verse, and let's start with the word he. He was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him, for they said, he was a son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. We're not so much interested in Ahaziah today, but we are interested in what's said about Jehoshaphat. They buried this son, gave him dignity in his death, even though he was an evil man, because of his father, whom they said, sought the Lord with all his heart. And that's the thing that we want to see about Jehoshaphat. He sought the Lord with all his heart. Jehoshaphat was a man who sought God. I've, I've thought to myself, what does it mean to seek God? And um, we, will, we will answer that question as we read scripture today, but just, um, just brainstorming here a little bit with you. Would seeking God be um, searching the scriptures to see what God wants from us? That would certainly be seeking God, wouldn't it? It would be seeking his wishes for us. And uh, Jehoshaphat, I believe, was that kind of a man. He sought God's wishes for him and for the nation. Another thing that would be true of a person who seeks God is that when they have difficulty, they go to him and they seek his help. Another thing that a person who seeks God does is they, they go to him for wisdom and ask for God's guidance in situations that they, are, um, that they don't know what to do. And there are probably other ways that we could talk about uh, what it means to seek God. But Jehoshaphat was that kind of a man. He set up judges in the nation of Israel. He established a strong military. And because of his love for God, God helped him establish the nation. He made some mistakes. He allied himself with Ahab, king of Israel, who was a wicked king. And uh, that was not a good thing. God did not approve of that. But he did follow God. And he sought him with all of his heart. He attempted to do what was right in God's sight. Well, he gets an amazing or an alarming uh, alert from his men who watch the borders and watch for enemy forces that might be coming towards his nation. I'd like you to read with me 2 Chronicles 20, verses 3 and 4. So Joshua receives this alert from his, his military people that a three-coalition army is coming against him, a three-nation coalition army consisting of Ammon, Moab, and um, the Meonites, which were uh, a group of people who lived in the land of Edom. And so when you think back to the ancestors of all those nations, Ammon and Moab were the names of the two sons of Lot. And so the nations that sprung up with those names came originally from the sons of Lot. So very much connected to Abraham. And then Edom was uh, the land that uh, came from the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. So there's real family connection there. 
And when the Israelites had gone through that part of the world on their way to the promised land uh, after leaving Egypt, uh, God forbade them from um, engaging them in any way militarily. They were to peacefully pass through their land, pay them for their food, all of that sort of thing, and which they did. They were uh, extremely respectful of them as they came through. And so here is this three-nation coalition coming against Judah. And Jehoshaphat receives the word, and this is the very next scripture in uh, the book of Chronicles 20, verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Let's stop there for just a minute. So initially here, we, we see one of the characteristics of a person who seeks God. When you're alarmed, you resolve to inquire of the Lord. That's what a person who seeks God does. When they, when they hear of something that frightens them or is overwhelming to them, they go immediately to the Lord and inquire of him. And Jehoshaphat not only inquired of the Lord himself, but he was a wise leader and a wise person. He got the, the nation of Israel involved as well. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now we can read verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And so this idea of seeking the Lord was something that that Jehoshaphat did in his personal life, but he also gave a picture of what that was like to the people of Judah, so they did it as well. They followed his lead, and together, king and nation sought the Lord in this potential disaster that was facing them. Well, Jehoshaphat not only sought the Lord privately, but he publicly led this congregation of people in prayer. And I don't know if you can imagine this, but um, thousands of people are standing in the courtyard of the house of God. And the little ones are there, and the men and the women, and they're seeking God. And, and the king stands up, and he leads in prayer. I think that would be quite a powerful thing. I, we, we don't see our presidents leading in prayer. We might see them bowing ahead in prayer, but to hear them actually praying would be, uh, if they knew God, would be a powerful thing. Listen to what Jehoshaphat said in his prayer. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, 
We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. No doubt, uh, just a little pause here, no doubt Jehoshaphat was referring to what Solomon had prayed at the dedication of the temple. He had prayed that that kind of thing would be possible, that when there was distress, people could come to the temple and cry out to God and that God would hear and answer. And so he's referring to that prayer at this, at this point. Let's continue on. Now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. This is an, um, an incredible admission on the part of a king. Normally, a king would be trying to rally the troops and giving people the, the idea that they can face anything and wouldn't be saying anything negative or disparaging about their situation. Jehoshaphat is being boldly honest to God in front of his people. He's saying, we do not have the power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh my goodness, that is a powerful statement. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. It's a humble statement. It's a true statement. And it's a statement that's a great example to anyone, including us, who faces things bigger than themselves, bigger than their ability to handle. In fact, if the truth were known, that should be our attitude about anything we face in life, that our eyes are on you, dear God. We're trusting in you for every situation that we face. I hope you remember that phrase because that would be one to carry with you uh, not only in this week ahead, but throughout your life. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I found myself so often um, praying that prayer, saying, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And so... Uh, as he prayed that prayer, there was a prophet of God in the midst and a, a prophet that we, I, I've not heard of in any other setting other than this. His name was Jehaziel. And Jehaziel stands and he says this. Let's begin reading in verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the de desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be, dis do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. 
So this is the word of the Lord through this prophet. It was God's word. It will be borne out in, in the next days ahead. But he spoke it boldly, and it had some key encouragements. And one of the encouragements was, this is not your battle. You will not need to even fight in this battle. Just go and take your positions. And he names where they're going to find the army. And so there's um, the divine knowledge of God giving them direction about where to go to find their, their opponents, their enemies. And uh, then just the assurance that they won't have to fight. And uh, that, what, what an incredibly encouragement, uh, encouraging prophecy. And so immediately, Jehoshaphat, recognizing that God has spoken, falls on his face in worship. He's worshiping God. The people uh, following the lead of their king also fell on their faces, worshiping God. Some of the Levites, probably of the, of the singers, there were uh, a certain company of the Levites who were devoted to singing. They began to praise the Lord in a loud voice. And, and it could have been in song. It could have been just in words. But I like to think it might have been in song. Maybe they sang a song that they knew together, a song of praise. And uh, in a loud voice. And this is encouraging the people as they're on their faces worshiping God. Well, they, uh, the next day, Jehoshaphat organizes the army and they set out early in the morning. Now, he consulted with the people and we don't know exactly what he said, but based on what they did, I can imagine what he said. He probably said something like this. Did you hear the word of the prophet yesterday that we will not have to fight this battle? Therefore, let's do something that will be an act of praise and worship to God. Let's get our singers out in front of the army and let's have them lead the way with songs of praise. And so he organized the, the army and the march in that fashion. The very first people to lead the march were the singers. And they began singing praises to the Lord. We know at least part of one of the songs was, His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they sang that as they went out to battle. And this, the scripture says that as they got to the place where the prophet had told them the enemy would be, that they saw an unusual sight. Let's back up for just a minute. What had happened was that as the singers began to sing praises to God, that the enemy began attacking one another. One nation attacked another, and then the other attacked that nation, and they killed each other. By the time that the, the, the armies of Judah got to the place of battle, there was nobody to fight. Everyone was dead. They looked out over the desert and all they saw were bodies. God had caused that to happen. He had caused that kind of a spirit to be in the enemy army and they fought each other and killed each other 
and Israel, literally, all they had to do that day was march, sing praises to God, and view a, a mighty defeat at God's hands. What a great victory God brought that day. And he brought it because a man, a king, was committed to seeking the Lord. And because he was committed, he led his people in seeking the Lord. That meant that when they couldn't face something, when they didn't have the power to overcome an opponent, that they would go to God and ask for his help. And in this case, he gave them his help in abundance and gave us a story that we can remember that will encourage us that when we face things that we can't handle, that we go to God as well and that he will bring victory in our lives. Well, these men and this king are properly motivated. The victory was so great and the army that they faced was so great that it took three days to uh, strip the bodies and to bury them and to gather all the plunder. And at the end of that three days, they had a celebration. They're still out in the field, but they went to a place, and let's, let's read this. It's on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. That is why it is called the valley of Baraka to this day. And so um, the valley of Baraka, um, Baraka meaning praise, was, was just a location, and it got its name from what they did there. They decided that even before they left the battlefield, they would give thanks and praise to God. They didn't forget the God who had brought them a mighty victory, the God who had saved their lives from destruction, not only as soldiers, but their families in the nation. And so they gave thanks to God on the battlefield. And now let's read verse 27 and 28. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. So typically on coming home from a victorious battle, there would be some sort of a parade through town. And then I'm sure there would have been celebrations and then uh, returning to home. But in, in this case, the very first thing they did was they went to the temple of the Lord and they brought harps and lyres and trumpets. And they had a time of worship and celebration in God's presence. They didn't forget the one who had brought the victory. And they gave him credit and they praised his name. I'd like for us to, to think about what we've just read and discussed today. God brought a mighty victory to the nation of Judah and to the king Jehoshaphat because he and the nation led by this king sought the Lord when they were in need. We're wanting victory in our lives. We're wanting victory in our church. 
We're wanting victory for our nation. Uh, those, the word victory, it has a different connotation in each setting. Uh, we're not so much at this point thinking about military victory, but we want victory in our families. We want our children to walk with the Lord. We're wanting victory in, in health situations. We're wanting to overcome sickness and to be protected from things. And um, we're wanting victory in our church. We're wanting there to be a spirit of revival. We're wanting people to come to know Jesus in our church and for people to be encouraged in their faith and to grow and to develop maturity and for us to be a, a force for good in our world, sending missionaries and sending people into vocations and situations where they can share the Lord. We're wanting our nation to be a nation that serves God. And so in all of these things, in all of these settings, whether personal or family or church or national, the formula still works that worked for Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. And that formula is seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Look for what he wants. Search the scriptures to find out what's important to him. And then do that. Obey those things that he has laid out in his word. Follow his plan. Follow his game plan. And when challenges come our way, things that we can't handle, rather than trying to figure it all out on our own, rather than having committee meetings and, and all of that, which is good, let's seek the Lord. Make sure that seeking the Lord is the cornerstone of it, every committee meeting. Make sure that seeking the Lord is the thing that we do as a family. We don't just hash things out and then the majority wins, but we, we seek the Lord, we pray, and we ask him for his help. Well, how did this work for the nation of Judah? There's a, a couple of verses that close this section, and I'd like for us to read those. They're verses 29 and 30. And so this is the commentary of the writer of Chronicles. He says, The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Now, just reflecting on that verse, wouldn't that be true? If you were a surrounding nation and you heard what had happened, that Israel, that Judah came out to fight and the enemy was dead. They had killed themselves and these surrounding nations put it together that God had been involved in that. And uh, so the fear of God came on all these surrounding nations. And lastly, verse 30, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Notice it didn't say that the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace because Jehoshaphat was such a great administrator, a great leader, a great military man. No, it says that his God had given him rest on every side. The thing that every king was seeking, this peace and prosperity for their nation, came because God had given it. And why did God give it? Because Jehoshaphat sought the Lord with all of his heart. That would be something 
for us to remember. And I pray that we will as we go from this study today. Would you join me in prayer as we commit what we've talked about today to God? Thank you, dear Lord, for this wonderful story, which is true. Thank you for the truths that were taught to us through this story. The importance, God, of seeking you with all of our hearts. And God, may we do that in our personal lives. May we seek your will through the scripture to find out how we should live. May we seek your help when we're overcome and find the miraculous help that only comes through you. And may we be like Judah and Jehoshaphat at the end of this time of victory in the Bible where the commentary was that they were at peace because God had given them rest on every side from their enemies. And God, may you give us rest from our enemy, Satan. May you give us rest from the temptations that plague us because you've helped us in those temptations and you've given us victory over them. God, may you be glorified in our lives, in our church, and in our nation. We pray these things in Jesus' name.